What is self-care and self-knowledge? How do they differ? What are some exercises to help with self-knowledge? And why are they important? Learn the answers to these questions and many more on this episode of the Talk To Me Doc podcast. Why pay Uncle Sam more money than you need to come tax time? Good news. You don't have to, but might need some help from the experts. John McCarthy, co-founder of Physician Tax Advisors, and his team of CPAs have a combined total of over 60 years of experience helping physicians save money. They know around the time your taxes are due that it's added stress to your already full plate. Get the help you need and save money while you're at it with Physician Tax Advisors. This firm is a physician, family-owned, and exclusively works only with physicians to lower their tax bill. By specializing in physician finances, John and his team have helped many physicians with high student loan debt decide if they need to file their taxes as marrying filing joint or separate. We ran the numbers and know working with John just makes sense. Check them out at drpodcastnetwork.com slash CPA. Welcome to the Talk To Me Doc podcast, where it's all about serving the early career physician. Let's talk about the unique issues that face us so we can create a better future for ourselves and those to come. And now your host, Dr. Andrew Tisser. Hey, everybody, it's Andrew, and welcome back to the Talk To Me Doc podcast. For my returning listeners, thank you so much. For my new listeners, welcome. Because today, like every episode, I'm bringing you the best guests from all around healthcare and beyond to discuss issues pertaining to the early career physician. Today's show, we have Dr. Dawn Baker. Dr. Dawn Baker is an anesthesiologist and founder of Practice Balance, a company dedicated to helping busy professionals find wellness through self-knowledge, self-care, and simplicity. She is a nationally syndicated writer, speaker, and coach. Dawn's personal practice of balance includes travel, rock climbing, strength training, yoga, and the simple pleasure of taking walks with her family. So without further ado, let's bring Dr. Baker onto the show. Dr. Dawn Baker, welcome to the Talk To Me Doc podcast. Hi, Andrew. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, thanks for joining. Uh, I already recorded a little bio about you for the listeners, but in your own words, could you talk about who you are, what you do, and uh, what your role is in healthcare today? Yeah, I am an anesthesiologist. I actually am in the current year transitioning from being in an academic practice to being a completely locums only anesthesiologist. And I also am a writer, speaker, and coach. And my particular area that I do those things on is work-life balance, particularly self-knowledge and self-care and helping busy professionals to find practical solutions that work with their lifestyle on those things. Cool. I am actually um, about nine years out of my residency training. So I'm a little bit beyond early career physician, except that it is my second career because I used to be an engineer before I went to medical school. Wow. So we'll call you mid-career for fun, but um, a few things before we get into today's topic. So why the decision to move to full locums? I have been on a trajectory of working part-time since pretty much I got out of residency. And it was something that I always wanted to do when I changed my career from engineering. I wanted to have as much freedom as possible to do things outside of medicine. I just care a lot, a lot about my 
other life interests. And those have morphed over the years, but I knew that I didn't want to be someone that was working crazy hours like what you work in residency. And so when I started my career, I looked for a position that was pretty simple in its roles and um, not necessarily looking for something super part-time, but over the years that I've worked, I've cut back little by little when the time was right with my organization I was working for. And then as I was there, they started to be a little bit more strict on when you could take vacation. And one of the things I really care about, um, aside from the pandemic time, you know, right now we're not traveling, but one of the things I really care about and really value with my family is slow travel and being able to take long periods of time off. So it fits well with anesthesiology, but doesn't always fit well with every practice because sometimes, like I was saying, the one that I was at was very constraining over when you could take time off related to a lot of different factors. So I took a leave of absence from that job with the blessings of the department and explored locums. And I decided to stick with that kind of a um, trajectory from now. Great. I, for those who don't know, I actually did two years of strict locums uh, straight out of residency in the Chicago area. And it was a lot of fun, learned a lot. I got to work in a lot of different places and um, it's certainly something to consider if you're in a career transition or in uh, just to kind of spice things up at some point in your career. It's a, it's a viable option, but that's not what we're here to talk about today, Don. So um, you mentioned self care and self knowledge. So I know what self care is, but could you discuss a little bit about what self knowledge is and uh, why it's important? I think for physicians, Definitely. And then other people that are in busy professions, we tend to lose sight of who we are when we're going through the motions of our training and jumping through all of the different hoops that we have to go through to get to that career point where we're a specialist or um, an attending physician or the boss, if you will. And a lot of times people just forget their interests. They forget um, things about their personality that make them authentically them. And self-knowledge is something that I try to help people to regain when they're in those kind of busy professional situations. And what it does for you is it's kind of a, a superpower. It helps you to be less stressed because if you know more yourself, you know how you best respond to stress and you can avoid burnout better. It helps you to be better at your job and have more success because you recognize your strengths and you're able to play up your strengths and avoid your weaknesses. It also helps in a sense of relationships because when you understand your uniqueness, you're more tolerant of the uniqueness of others. And that can be your intimate relationships, your family relationships, and also your, your work relationships. And it also helps you to adopt good habits and get rid of bad habits in a more efficient way. Basically, you're more in tune with your internal values and you're more likely to make decisions that are sustainable and from a place of internal value as opposed to external things that are thrust upon you and expectations from other people that may or may not fit with you know, what you believe. 
That makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, uh, do you ever see it maybe with your clients or your colleagues or what have you um, that maybe we think we do have self-knowledge, but in fact, uh, there's a lot missing. Um, for example, uh, you could say a resident or an early attending, you're like, yeah, I know who I am. I know what I stand for. But then when you get talking to them a bit more, you realize that there's a lot to be learned. Is that common? Yes, it is. Sometimes people come to me um, in particular for coaching and they say, I feel like I've lost my true self. So they're aware, except that I think also other people are in that situation where they're still go, go, go. And they think they know themselves because they understand identities that they have. But understanding your true self is really beyond the roles and the identities that we carry in our lives. So people will say, oh yeah, I understand myself. I'm a ex-physician, you know, I'm an um, internal medicine physician. Um, so if that's their biggest identity, what if that identity is stripped away from you? That can happen. People get sick, people get hurt. Um, things change in their work environment. They get fired or, you know, just different circumstances come up and then all of a sudden, you may have lost your identity and then you really don't know who you are. You're really not just your job. You're really not just a parent or um, a spouse. There are so many other aspects to, to who you are and to how you think and how you kind of respond to the things that happen in life. Yeah, those are all great points. I, I see it a lot. Um, and I, especially when I talk to residents, it's you, uh, you're, being a physician is your job, your career, right? but it's not your life and it's not who you are as a person. Um, and a lot of people lose that connection. Another fun exercise that I've done with people in the past is if your medical, dis if your medical degree disappeared today, uh, barring financial things, you know, we're in a make-believe land, uh, what would you do? And some people have a lot of trouble figuring that out um, because I think their identity was wrapped up in their career as a physician. So um, in that same vein, how do people start exploring who they are and uh, as, as opposed to just being a doctor or a mom or what have you? Yeah, so the first thing that I tell people when I do talks or coaching or even just in my writing is that you have to understand that your thoughts and your ego are different and that you are not this fixed being. So adopting a growth mindset that you can change, that you um, are the master of your situation, that you're the master of your thoughts is very important. Because if you feel that fixed sense of I am a doctor, and then like I mentioned, something happens that changes that identity for you, you're going to be very upset and your expectations and your re reality are not going to meet and that that's quite a problem for people and it leads to a lot of depression and existential crises and, and things of that nature. So that's the first step is understanding the idea that you are inherently able to make changes in your lives and that your thoughts aren't always going to be the same and your values aren't always going to be the same, but that you should be aware of them. So 
Then I move on and I have people do certain self-assessments that are not things that I invented, but that I have gleaned along the way of kind of doing my own personal development work. And I have my favorites. I have certain assessments that I like people to take or that I recommend to people. And it kind of depends on what they're struggling with at the time. Um, if they're struggling with relationships, I have people take the assessment of their love language, for example. Um, if they're struggling with uh, adopting good habits or trying to get rid of some bad habits, I specifically have them do the four tendencies framework quiz. All of the things that I recommend people do are not things that take a ton of time. They're not difficult to understand or grasp. They're not like um, deep psychological um, academic kind of exercises. They're things that people can have practical takeaways from. Um, another one that I really like is the Clifton Strengths Finder. I think there are a couple of different names for that. So that uh, kind of shows your values and then also where you excel. And then Myers-Briggs type inventory is another one that's pretty good. Uh, so I have people do those assessments. The other thing that I really recommend to people is to, and this is a difficult one with physicians, is to have a reset time, like take some time off. And that time off needs to have white space in it. It needs to have some downtime. So taking time off doesn't mean that you then go scroll on your phone all day. It means that you actually have silent time and that you go take walks by yourself or you spend some time by yourself just thinking. You don't have to be doing really intense meditation to have insights. So I recommend that. And I also talk to people about finding ways to work mindfulness into their lives on a daily basis. And it doesn't have to be, like I said, something where they're sitting on a meditation pillow for 45 minutes a day. People get very intimidated by that kind of thing. So just working in very short of silent time, of gratitude time, of journaling, of taking walks and having a little bit of mindful activity in their daily kind of uh, proceedings. Yeah, I, I think those are all great habits to get into. I mean, um, as we've talked some about, about some of it on the show in the past, and really just taking a few minutes here and there can make a big impact on your life. Uh, like you said, it doesn't have to be huge chunks of time, which unfortunately we don't really have <laughs> necessarily as docs. But, um, so what, but what if someone comes to you, Dawn, and they're like, that's all well and good, but I know who I am. And it's, it's, it's actually, it's the job. That's the problem. The job is horrible. Um, and that's why I'm burnt out. It's not me, you know? So how do you, how do you respond to something like that? That's tough because I think a lot of people tend to fall in that category where they're feeling that burnout as something that is occurring to them, that they're the victim. And I try to help people to understand that they do actually have control over their thoughts and their feelings and their actions and focus on that as opposed to on what people are doing for them. And it takes some time. I have an exercise that I do with people where they can 
think about their thoughts in a different way than just kind of how they're occurring in their brain. And they will do what I call a soap note, just like what we learned in medical school, subjective, objective assessment and plan. It's another way to look at your thought. And there are different thought models out there that people use, but that's the one that I like to use because medical people understand it um, as we you know, wrote notes that way for forever. And subjective is the thought that you're getting in your head, like, um, my boss is being a jerk today. The objective is the objective truth. Being a jerk is not an objective truth. So the objective truth is like, my boss said X, Y, Z to me. And as long as it's like an exact quote. And the assessment is this thing that happened is making me feel a certain way. And then the plan is, okay, next time this happens, what can I do to make myself not get triggered by this particular situation? So that's just an example of how to get some thought mastery through using thought analysis. I like that a lot. That's very helpful. Um, in the beginning of the show, you also stated that you uh, like to talk to people about self-care. And I think self-care is really important. Uh, I know when I was a resident, I put on like 30 pounds and I didn't do any of my hobbies anymore. I didn't read. I didn't play music. I didn't do any of the things that I liked. Um, and then I came out as an attending and I didn't quickly get back into those hobbies, but you know, through eventually I did. And it, it, of course that has brought so much greatness to my life, getting back into the things I used to like, but that's just one example. So could you touch a little bit on, on the importance of self-care and maybe uh, some simple ways we can start to bring that back into our lives as docs? Yeah. Self-care is something that comes a little bit secondarily to self-knowledge because your self-care is not my self-care. So if you know more about yourself and the things that you care about and the values that you have and the things that you like to do with your free time, then you can build self-care and stress management techniques around that. And I am a poor example in my training of self-care because I also lost some of my hobbies and the things that that I really cared about a lot of athletics. Um, I was very, very into rock climbing at the time, but I got to the point where I just didn't even want to go because it was so overwhelming with all of the work that I needed to do uh, in residency and training and studying. And it led to a deep depression for me. And then all of that was compounded by the fact that I was sick and I didn't even know it. I actually had a brain tumor that was diagnosed during residency, but it took me months and months to figure this out. And so you don't want to get to the point that I was where I was going blind and struggling with my procedures and also super depressed and feeling like I was very burned out, but I was actually sick. So I wasn't even doing basic health care maintenance. So one thing that you can do is make sure that you stay healthy and that you're seeing people 
and uh, like a physician, a professional, um, maybe you see a mental health professional as well, or um, a just kind of a primary care physician, make sure that your health is in order. That's a really important piece of care. Other things of self-care uh, are going to be related to activities that you like to do. So if you particularly really like music, maybe spending some time listening to music is self-care for you. If you particularly like words and you like writing, journaling is self-care. If you are an extrovert, being around people and making appointments um, to have coffee or even you know nowadays in the pandemic, having Zoom chats can really boost your energy and give you that kind of feeling of self-care. Whereas on the opposite side, if you are an introvert and you really gain energy from being by yourself, then taking silent walks will be an act of self-care. So there are lots of different things that can be defined as self-care and people tend to think of it as massages and pedicures, but it's much more, much more than that and can be much more practical and easy to achieve. Yeah, very, very good points, Don. I think, um, especially the point about just seeing a doctor, right? I know a lot of people like, well, I am a doctor. I don't need to go to the doctor, um, which is silly uh, in and of itself. But uh, that and mental health, you know, I, I know many people I've spoken to have unfortunately had serious depression, either undiagnosed or untreated in residency. Um, I know it was the worst time of my life uh, for me and my wife. Uh, and just talking to somebody can be extremely helpful. Uh, maybe you can't do as many things as you once wanted to, but uh, getting back to those things you like to do prior to residency, prior to medical training, uh, really, really can help. Um, I know I didn't even know. I, I was like, I, I felt so, I felt a lot of emptiness after residency and just starting to read again really kind of helped me with with that just because it was something I like to do and not medical books, you know? Yeah. I don't think I read an entire book for, for fun during residency. Maybe I did in medical school. I can't even remember, but yeah, for sure. And the other thing that I stopped doing was watching movies because I had such a low attention span. I remember that um, sitting somewhere quietly for two hours just seemed like a huge um, undertaking when you're in that kind of training mode where you're go, go, go. I always have some box that I need to check on my little paper that's in my pocket kind of mentality. Absolutely. I, and I think anesthesia and emergency medicine share that in that it's just uh, constant, uh, can't sit still for a second. Yeah. So, you know, I think I think everything you've spoken about thus far is uh, is very helpful to think about both self knowledge and self care uh, for doctors. Um, but I know I've heard it in the past. You know, a lot of people just say, "Well, that that's all very theoretical and not very practical." I obviously disagree. Um, but uh, perhaps you could talk a little bit more about um, practicality as it comes to self knowledge. People are like, "Well, I." I I know who I am. I know what I want, but it not, maybe it's not the system, but, uh, that's, that, this is just the way it is. And how is that going to help me? Um, I know we've touched on it a little bit, but could you talk a little bit more about, uh, how this really actually is practical? 
Well, it's practical in the sense that you won't be in that position of regret when you make decisions from internal motivation. And you will also realize that any kind of quote failures that seem like failures from an external point of view are actually learning experiences and they help you to learn more about yourself. So say that you choose a job when you're right out of residency and you think that it's the perfect job for you, but you know, a year or two into it, it doesn't seem like the perfect job. That doesn't mean that you failed. It means that there's something there for you to learn about yourself and then not make the same mistake of um, on your next job, choosing a job that had certain aspects, whatever it was that, that didn't work out at that one job. So it is self-knowledge is something that will help you to just kind of be on this constant practice of finding your best life and optimizing your habits and optimizing your work environment and your home environment. Another thing that is an example is when I have clients do the four tendencies questionnaire, which is a, a it's a Gretchen Rubin book is called the four tendencies. And she made this quiz. I find this to be super helpful. And if anybody's listening to this podcast and just goes and takes that quiz, um, you will get immense insight from it. It's free. I think you may have to just give your email, but um, I'm not an affiliate of Gretchen Rubin's or anything of that matter. I just happen to be a fan of this because it's super, super practical. You fall into a category of one of four types of responders to expectations and expectations can be external or internal. And internal is expectations is just kind of a catch-all word, but it really is like goals or things that you want to do for yourself, um, but they're completely within you. And then external expectations are like, you're going to obey the laws. You're going to stop at the stop signs. You're going to go to work on time or like I'm an anesthesiologist and I'm expected that I'm going to be in the operating room and have my patient um, in there on time at 730 on a day that I'm working, for example. Um, and also just other things like, you know, your, your daughter is counting on you to make dinner for her or something like that. So you take this quiz and you become, you, you, you test into one of these four categories of like how you respond to those expectations. And it is so telling in the way of how you can build habits and build relationships because based on how you respond, you can then use certain strategies to help you to kind of build the habits that you want. So like you are an early career physician and you've forgotten the fact that you really love running. You really want to get a regular running habit back into place. And then you do this four tendencies questionnaire and you test into the category, for example, that you're an obliger, which means that you readily will respond to outer expectations and outer accountability, but you have trouble setting your inner goals. So then you use that information about yourself and you go and you build certain strategies around keeping your habit of running. So a certain strategy that works with that framework is having a running club, having a running partner, because it gives you external accountability. Um, sharing your 
goal with picking the running habit back up in your life with people that you know um, will help you because then they'll cheer you on and you get that external accountability. Whereas if you just kept that goal to yourself, you never did anything, maybe you wrote it down, but you never shared it with anybody, you never built in some accountability structure, uh, you're, you're less likely to work that habit back into your life. So that's just like one example that um, shows the practicality of how self-knowledge can be applied. Love it. And I will uh, put a link to that quiz in the show notes for the listeners. Uh, just want to shift the show a little bit to get to know you as a guest a little bit better. Um, so you mentioned a couple of things that you like, but uh, what, what do you like to do for fun other than all this stuff? Yeah, I, one of the values that I really have is having white space and downtime, as I mentioned. And so I really like to do things to work on myself. I also, by the way, speaking of that, like to instill in people that taking care of yourself is not selfish. Taking care of yourself and having good self-care practices really makes you a better doctor, a better husband or wife, a better parent, um, just better in all the ways that you are, all the roles that you have that serve other people. And so I really like to do things for myself and things that I do are, I take walks and hikes. I happen to live right near a um, open desert area that has a peak by it. And so I take a lot of walks. I am really into fitness. It used to be for years and years, like 20 plus years, all of my fitness were surrounded by, or were um, all dedicated to rock climbing. And I um, trained in a rock climbing gym and then all of my trips were related to rock climbing and going to rock climbing destinations. When I had a child who's now five, uh, that kind of um, changed, the perspectives changed and the things that um, I like to do for fitness changed a little bit. I started getting into strength training. So I really like strength training and yoga. Um, so another thing I like to do with my time is play with my daughter and we are homeschooling my daughter. So finding ways to work, learning opportunities into kind of our daily lives. She's young, so um, schooling is pretty basic at this point. And um, other things I like to do, I'm a self-development junkie, so I love reading books about self-care and self-knowledge and personal development. And I'm an active member of the Physician Coaching Alliance, which is a community of physician coaches, and we have meetings regularly, and I do peer coaching with them, and um, we listen to each other talk about some of the, the coaching techniques that we use. So that's another way that I spend my time right now. Awesome. Yeah. A lot of great things to spend your time on. Um, do you have a book recommendation for the listeners? Yeah, I have some books that I really like. In your um, primer questions, I do want to mention my favorite book ever, which is a really random book. But if anybody sees this, it's from the 90s. It's called Beyond Backpacking. That sounds like something totally random that you would not even pick up. But I'm telling you, it has so many lessons. It's crazy. It's written by Ray Jardine. Um, and it's spelled J-A-R-D-I-N-E. And he is an engineer who invented one of the first active 
protection devices for climbing. Whereas before rock climbers always hammered pitons into the rock walls and then they left um, piton scars on the rock. But this guy invented this thing that would wedge actively in between rock cracks so that you could protect and climb up the rock. And he ended up, uh, so he changed climbing basically. He was revolutionary in climbing. And then also this book is written from the standpoint of him backpacking the Pacific Crest Trail. So he ended up revolutionizing the way that people hike the Pacific Crest Trail as well. And it's something that my family and I have wanted to do for a long time. It's kind of like a bucket goal list. I've never done it. I've only done a little part of it. The part that um, is between Mount Whitney and Yosemite in California. I've done that. But um, this guy revolutionized basically with thinking in a different way how people backpacked. People used to backpack with like 50, 60 pounds on their back and then they had to wear special shoes that were super supportive, that were really heavy and all of their stuff was super heavy. And the book is all about him doing higher mileage, going quicker and using running shoes basically and having his stuff sent to different locations like having food caches along the way and people sending packages and this is like even before amazon and like delivery and and all of the the web and the the opportunities that we have for for getting delivery of packages and things like out in the middle of nowhere so that was a really inspiring book to me and i wanted to mention it because it shows how when you think about something in a different way but you also are true to your own particular values you can really it can just lead to a huge area of innovation and of, of changing the mindset of the way people do things. So I love that book. And then as far as newer books and um, more books related to the self-development stuff I really like, I love the book called Mindset by Carol Dweck, and it's D-W-E-C-K. And I also love any books by Gretchen Rubin, as I mentioned. I love the book called Essentialism, which is really about making sure that you understand that more is not better in your life, but that less is better and focusing on the things that you really care about more than just adding more achievements and adding more things. It's not all about money. It's also about like taking on more roles at work or um, getting higher up in your organization. It's not all it's cracked up to be depending on what your values are. And then another money book I really like, uh, which actually was recommended in the Beyond Backpacking book I mentioned is The Millionaire Next Door. That is just a classic book about simplicity and money and how not everybody who looks like a millionaire is a millionaire and that everyday people can achieve financial independence. I'm sure you've heard of that one. Yep. That's a great one. Uh, I don't know if it's been recommended on this show before, but that is certainly a classic. Um, I will put all those links in the show notes for the listeners. Uh, and coming to the end of our interview here, Don, uh, if you could give early career physicians listening to the show, whether they be new attendings or uh, residents or fellows, or even some medical students, what would one single piece of advice be? Take some time now to learn more about yourself using some of the techniques that I mentioned, spending some downtime, maybe taking some assessments. I have 
a list of assessments that I really like on my blog that you can go to. I'll give you that at the end. And also spending time journaling and reflecting and thinking about what you really want because this will help you to resist burnout. It will help you to enhance your relationships and it will help you to find work-life balance and better habits so you can work smarter and make better decisions. Love it. Great advice. Um, and leading into that, uh, if people want to learn more about you, uh, how can they get a hold of you and where can they find you? Best place to look for me is on my blog, which is called practicebalance.com. And I have years and years of articles on there about these topics that I'm talking about. And I also have a free download that you can get uh, by signing up for my newsletter. And I don't send tons of um, emails, so it's not something that you're going to get spammed with. <laughs> I probably send like one a month or two a month, but um, it is a kind of a guided journal entry that you can do where it asks you some of these probing self-knowledge questions that can get you inspired on your own journey. I'm also most active on social media on Instagram because I happen to love photography. That's something I didn't mention that in my free time, I love to take photos. So I share those on Instagram and um, my handle there is practice balance as well. I'm on Facebook as Don Baker and I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter as well, but the most active I am is, is on Instagram. Wonderful. Again, all the links will be in the show notes for the listeners. Dawn, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience with our listeners. I really gained a lot of insight as to self-care, self-knowledge, and all, all the things that go along with it. Um, it's certainly given me a lot to reflect on. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, Dawn, take care. What a great episode with Dr. Dawn Baker. I really like the discussion of self-care versus self-knowledge and how to really work on both aspects. The exercises she gave, which are linked in the show notes, are also very valuable to help with your self-knowledge. It's interesting when she talked about how many people don't even know that they have a lack of self-knowledge. Well, that's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed. In order to get this episode into more ears, would you please go on Apple Podcasts and give me an honest rating and review? And of course, please share with your family, friends, and colleagues. The other thing I'd like you to do after listening is follow me on Instagram at talk the number two me doc underscore LLC. In addition to podcasts, I post plenty of helpful career advice for both the early and mid career physician. I'd appreciate a couple hearts here and again. If you ever want to reach me, you can always send me an email at Andrew at talk number two me docpod.com. I answer all messages. Have a great day and keep talking. Before we go, just a reminder to reach out to John McCarthy and the team at Physician Tax Advisors before you set out to handle your taxes this year. Taxes are complicated enough, so leave it to the professionals. Go to drpodcastnetwork.com slash CPA to get help today.
All opinions expressed by the guest in this episode are solely the guest's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Andrew Tissardio, TalkToMe.LC, or any affiliates thereof. The guest's opinions are based upon information he or she considers reliable, but Andrew Tissardio, TalkToMe.LC, nor any affiliates thereof warrant its completeness or accuracy. The guest, Andrew Tissardio, TalkToMe.LC, or any affiliates thereof are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided in this episode. The guest statements and opinions are subject to change without notice.